we will begin. John 7 and verse... I went to Luke 7. If you go to the wrong book, you're going to wind up in the wrong place. All right? John 7 and verse 38. Would you read that together with me, the verse? Ready, begin. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That is a promise. That is a promise from the Lord. He says, you know, if you believe, if I believe on him, he promises rivers of living water. You think about that. You enjoy fresh water. Isn't it great when it comes out of the tap the right color? But around this time of year, it comes out sometimes the wrong color. Um, comes out with a little bit of sulfur in it. Uh, it comes out with a little bit of coloration in it, a little bit of iron in the water. And you know, when we drink that, you, any of you guys enjoy looking water that looks like apple juice? I mean, not really, right? You look at that, and that water comes out of the tap, and it looks more like um, watered-down apple juice. And you say, did this come? Which pipe did it come out of? You know, you're wondering, okay, when you see that dirty water. None of us like that water coming out of our tap. And Jesus says, he that believeth on me, he promises, he promises rivers of living water will flow from our soul. Don't our kids need rivers of living water? <laughs> okay. I mean, they get enough garbage in this world. They need a little bit of fresh water at home. And Jesus says they can get it from us. That's not a pride, prideful thing to say. He says, he that believeth on me. Out of his belly shall flow, Jesus says, rivers of living water. That's a beautiful promise. Claim that promise. As we finish this year up thinking about thriving and wanting to grow, you say that picture sure looks a little cold, doesn't it? And right now it's a little cold this time of year. There's a little bit of ice on the ground. But my friends, you look at that water and you see the water still looks good, doesn't it? It looks, it looks drinkable. Right? In the picture, it looks drinkable. And Jesus says if we believe on him, he says this fresh water is going to come from our life. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be powerful. And earlier in the year, we had a picture up with beautiful grass and flowers. And we saw that beauty. But this morning, as we uh, continue and finish out the year, we're going to look at another passage and see how Jesus Christ, how he thrived on our behalf and how we can do the same as we finish this year. Let's go there. All right. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is a beautiful book. If you're looking for where it is in your Bible, you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. you got the Gospels. And then you have the Epistles right after that. Philippians chapter 2. Paul speaking here and gives us wonderful words of encouragement that help and comfort and bless in our lives. He says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind." Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you look at that verse, verse 1, if there be, he says, any consolation. Don't we like consolation and comfort? I mean, we live in a society that wants consolation and comfort so much that we're selling it by the pill load. And we're telling people that if, we, if they get this particular medication, it will cure and comfort them. But then they wind up committing some heinous crime, and they blame it on that medication. My friend, Jesus alone gives comfort. And yes, you may need medical help, okay? People need medical help, all right? I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But in America, we get it by the train car load, by the ton load, and we seem to be one of the most depressed nations on the planet. Okay? We have access to money and medical, medical things like no other nation on earth, but yet we're getting our consolation sometimes from a pill. You say, uh, how does that work? What happens? You put your kid in school and they can't behave. What does the school say? Put them on a pill, right? They say, give them this little thing and this will cure them. This will help them. And then it gets bigger and bigger and more and more powerful. And then we wonder why there's so much opioid usage and so many people struggling with drug addiction in their adult years. Why? Because we taught them as a child that the only way to control that behavior was through a pill. The only way to comfort their nerves, the only way to calm them down was through some medication. And Jesus says, if there be any consolation, he's speaking here through the Apostle Paul, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love. Look, I want my children to be comforted in love in the home, right? I mean, that's the place where you learn to understand love is in the home. And I want each one of us to learn to be consoled by Jesus Christ, all right? We live in a world in an age full of what? All these therapy this, that, therapy this, uh, animals and therapy pets and uh, just a world filled with all this and yet still depression and anxiety uh, throughout the hearts of mankind. Jesus promises comfort that lasts, Comfort that lasts long after the temporal things of this life are gone. If any, comfort of love. There's a lot of comfort in love. The Bible tells us in the, in the Old Testament, back in Genesis, that there was a man named Isaac. Isaac had a very close relationship with his mother. And when his mother passed, he was grieved at the loss of his mother. And the Bible tells us that then when he got married, that he was comforted. He was comforted, and he basically was able to get over the loss of his mother. God gave him comfort through that relationship. Yes, relationships in life bring comfort, but the relationship with Christ ought to bring the most comfort. And all God's people said, Amen. it ought to bring us the most comfort. He says, if there be any comfort in love, if any fellowship... Of the Spirit. Beautiful thing right there. Fellowship of the Spirit. Any bowels of mercies. Uh, the inmost mercy comes from within when we still love and give grace even after we've been hurt. He says, fulfill ye my joy. We've been studying a little bit about joy, haven't we? Faith, joy, and love and how they work together. And in this passage, you see that they're working together. He says, fulfill my joy that ye be... What does he say? How, how are we supposed to be? What kind of mind? Like-minded. Isn't it hard to be like-minded even in our marriage? All right? Be on the same page about everything? 
Come on, be honest, guys, okay? Isn't it hard to be on the same page about everything, okay? All right, we, we, it is, okay? Um, don't think you're the only person that struggles with it. Uh, by the way, if you're both exactly alike, there's no reason to be together, okay? You don't need each other. And so uh, Paul says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. He's not saying that naturally you're going to automatically think the same but he's saying there's a choice that's made here to be like-minded. Having, he says, the same love. The same love. Often we say, well, that person displays more love. I displayed love. They didn't display love. Paul says you're both just have the same love. The same love. In the family of God, we're to have the same love. It's a love that keeps giving even when we've been hurt. The same love, he says, being of one Accord of, what does he say? How many minds? One mind. There are some who today may teach you that if you put unity above doctrine, you'll have fallacy, and they are true to an extent. But in the Bible, you always see unity with truth. It's impossible to have the truth and not be united for Jesus Christ himself said that the greatest commandment is love and the essence of love is being united in the family of God. He says having the same love being of one accord of one mind. He says let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. He says I know the motive. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. This Christmas, we get to what? Esteem the little ones that Jesus said are the greatest above ourselves, right? And uh, we're not having presents for the adults, right? And we're doing presents for the children. Why? Because they're the greatest among us. You say, the passage also says that if we humble ourselves as a child, we're the greatest, okay? But we're not in here comparing, okay? And so... (laughs) He's telling us, you know what, you ought to have the attitude of humility as a child. And Jesus had that. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's not talking about being covetous. He's talking about giving. We notice several things about Christ. He was humble. He was holy. He was separate from sinners. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with with grief. He was wounded for our transgressions and our sin was placed upon him. He was despised, he was rejected, he was smitten of God and afflicted, yet we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. I love the song, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. And I love that last verse when it says, uh, well the next verse where it says, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring, then I knew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But as the song says, he indeed was a man of sorrows. What a name for the Savior. Think about that. He was the man of sorrows, yet he's our Savior. The mind of Christ is a beautiful thing. And you know, today you might be dealing with some sorrows. And I encourage you, don't think so much about yourself. 
that you forget to think of others. It's easy to get so caught up, well, I feel this way. And by the way, our culture teaches us we go to the church based upon what we feel. We go to church where we feel. If you go to church based upon how you feel, you won't be in any church very long. I mean, if I was a pastor based upon only how I feel, I would only be a pastor about two weeks. I'd go to the next place and be a pastor about two weeks. If you do it just on feelings, you'll last a few months. You'll go here, last a few months. My friend, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He came to serve. He came to love. That was his heart. That was his motive. The mind of Christ is a beautiful thought to comprehend. He loves, forgives, and ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Think about how many people in this world cursed Christ's name today. Yet he's not up in heaven going, Well, today it was two million that cursed my name, so no more forgiveness. He still gives. He still loves. But what do we do, right? We get one little cursing. Somebody, uh, one little person does one little thing and says something to us. We misunderstand one text message and we're, we're done with the relationship. We don't forgive. He's the great Savior. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You say, what mind? We're about ready to see it. Anything that we can let in, we also can let out. See, he says, let this mind be in you. So if we can let it in, we can let it out. That means that all because I'm saved doesn't mean I have the mind of Christ all the time. Not because you're, you say, well, I prayed this prayer to trust Christ 30 years ago. My friend, that does not mean you're walking in the Spirit today. It's a daily renewal. It's a daily reminder. We must walk in the Spirit. It would be unwise, it would be prideful to assume that we, can always, that we always have the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ is distinct and it is the opposite of our flesh. So we will be automatically tempted to not have the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And let us look at this this morning as we see thriving with the mind of Christ. Two thoughts this morning, two thoughts for us. The first, a mind of unity. We have looked down through this text at this mind of unity. But he says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. You got an opinion that's different than your friend? When's the last time you died to your opinion? How often we'll say things like, well, nobody cared about my opinion. If you live long enough, you'll figure out that will happen to every one of us, okay? You're going to be at a place, a time, where nobody's going to care about your opinion, okay? Jesus was at a place and a time where nobody cared about his opinion too, all right? Okay? A mind of unity. Let this mind be in you. Like-minded or strong-willed. We all have, look, we have options. Uh, we could waste our life knocking others' opinions without considering the end of their own opinions, does this opinion lead others to salvation? Does my opinion help others put their faith in Jesus Christ? Does my opinion cause visitors to come to church? Does my opinion cause others to have a high view of God? Does this viewpoint exalt others or does it exalt ourselves? Which viewpoint we have ultimately affects the way others view God. Motives matter to God. See, he says, have a like-minded spirit. What would happen if the community saw that when we had a disagreement with another individual who's of the faith, that that was something that you kept to yourself, if at all possible, that you kept it to yourself and you decided to walk together in love? See, 
a mind of unity, he says, be like-minded. We depart mentally before we ever depart physically. You wonder why, look, today is on the rise, all these children running away from home. And uh, I had a relative who they were pretty disappointed just a few days ago, and they have a very loosey-goosey parenting philosophy, but yet one of their children ran away, and they were shocked. My friend, it can happen to any of us, okay? But the child mentally departed long before they physically walked out the door. And they were surprised when their seven, eight-year-old was walking down the street, running away from home. A home, by the way, where there was very little boundaries, still the child ran away. They mentally departed long before they physically walked out of that door. In the same way, spiritually, we spiritually in our heart, we depart, and in our mind, we depart. We put, hold up a grudge long before we physically do something. A mind of unity is choosing to get along with people that are different than us, choosing to work together, choosing to learn the common denominator, which, by the way, is focusing on Jesus Christ and letting his word be the priority in our life, focusing ourselves on walking with Christ, Motives matter to God. A divisive spirit will struggle finding a stable home. And a heart that departs, uh, depart, a heart departs from the job before we quit. We don't just walk out. You say, that, that person walked out of that job. I don't know why my coworker quit. They quit in their mind a long time before they quit. Okay? And we quit in our mind when we decide to let other things come in. Okay? Other than Christ. The Bible addresses common weaknesses and gives us a challenge in Hebrews 3. It says in Hebrews 3, verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, he says, in any of you. Speaking to the brethren. And he says, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He says, any of us can be tempted with it. You say, that's horrible. How could that happen? It's the opposite of the mind of Christ. He says, the mind of Christ is united. He says, you're going to be tempted to be divided. Look at our culture, if you haven't figured out. People are divided, okay? And uh, the government's trying to unite us over things that can't unite, all right? And, and lest there be in any of you, he says, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He says that the believer will be tempted to depart from the living God. So we should be wary lest we should depart mentally he says, exhort one another daily, lest there be any of you, in any of you, he says, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He says, there's this mind of unity. I want you to have it. Be like-minded, be of the same mind in the house of God. How? Through the mind of Christ. And we're going to look at the mind of Christ right now. Because he tells us to not look every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. A mind of unity. But secondly, this morning, we see there's a mind of lowliness. A mind of lowliness. Verse 5, he says, to let this mind be in you. You say, what mind, Paul? He's telling us right now what kind of mind. It's the opposite of our culture. It's the opposite of our flesh. We're not naturally, you're not going to naturally just walk home today and have the mind of Christ. Okay? It's prideful to assume that. We're not naturally going to just find the good within. We need the grace of God. He says, verse 6, who being in the form of God, as we sang a moment ago, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. God of no reputation. When he left heaven, he left his reputation of glory. 
And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Imagine what Jesus Christ would have faced as a child when people knew that his daddy was not his biological daddy. Do you understand culturally? It's hard for us to even comprehend. It was a culture in which, friend, if his daddy was not his daddy, he would have been mocked because of that. Imagine trying to explain that in the schoolyard. By the way, they didn't have public school back then, but imagine him trying to explain it. The other kids, oh, I heard you, I heard your mommy and Joseph and Mary, you guys didn't even live together yet. And all of a sudden, you guys weren't even married, you hadn't even had the wedding yet. And, 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 and you were born, Jesus. You were born before the, the wedding. How did that happen, Jesus? Explain that. You're God? Explain that. Imagine, imagine that. All right? In the culture in that day, in that culture in that day, it would have been very, very, very difficult. But I tell you, he rose above that as the sinless son of God. Of course, we understand he was born of the Virgin Mary, born without sin. But he had a mind of lowliness. Imagine having to explain that away all the time. Hey, Jesus, your, your daddy's just a carpenter. My daddy is a tax collector. My daddy is this. My daddy's a Pharisee. Your daddy is just a man who pounds nails and builds things out of wood. My daddy over here, he's a lawyer. He's intelligent. He's educated. Your daddy? I mean, imagine it going on. He had a spirit of humility. He was born in a lowly estate. He was born... We heard, Jesus, you were born in a barn. I was born at home. All right? You were born in a barn, Jesus. Can you explain that? I heard you didn't even have a bed. Your parents didn't have a bed for you. You were born in a little place where they put the straw for the animals. I heard about that. Can you imagine having to explain that away? Lowly. Lowly. A mind of lowliness. He humbled himself. When he left heaven as God, he knew exactly where he was going. Can you imagine leaving the beauty of heaven to go down and knowing that you're going to be born to a virgin, knowing that you are going to be, that she's going to deal with ridicule and mockery, her husband's going to deal with ridicule and mockery, knowing that you're going to grow up in that home, you're going to grow up in a little tiny town, you're going to grow up uh, in a kind of an insignificant place, knowing that, and yet still going? Would you do it? Would you go to the smallest town in America and be born there if you knew that you were going to leave the beauty of the town in which you were at? Would you go be born in the little town with only two people? Really? None of us would do that. But yet as God, he fulfilled the word of God and came and humbled himself. When a man asked George Mueller the secret of his service... George Mueller responded, there was a day when I died, I utterly died. Died to George Mueller, his own opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. For those of you who do not know who George Mueller was, he was a man who cared for over 10,000 orphans. Can you imagine? Can you personally imagine as... We're all adults. I mean, all those of us who are, who are adults in the room, can you imagine taking that responsibility? Young people who are aspiring to be uh, an adult one day and drive your own car, you're so excited about that, right? 
They're excited about growing up. Can you imagine taking the responsibility of 10,000 people? 10,000 children, not educated children from educated homes. No, poor children who didn't have an education, poor children who are growing up on the streets, and you're going to bring them in, 10,000 of them? Can you even imagine that? I mean, even the special schools that we have around here, they're all complaining about funding. George Mueller, he didn't have any funding. The state didn't... The state drops hundreds of thousands of dollars on these, on these programs, and many of them fail. All right? Many of these little programs around here, they just dump money into them, and they pour in like it's pouring down a drain. But you know what? Uh, George Mueller, he didn't have all that funding, but he had faith. And he had love for these kids. And he and his wife cared for them. They started over 120 schools. Can you imagine starting one school, yet alone 120? He built at least three orphanage buildings that cost over $100,000 a piece, 100,000 euros back in that day, which would have been a whole lot more in our day. And by faith, he prayed. And many times he would pray. And, and children, maybe you one time, you go, sometimes you go to the refrigerator and you just wish there was more milk, right? The milk's out for the older kids in the house. You know, right? The milk runs out fast, I'm sure, with older children in the room, in the house. And you go to the refrigerator and there's no more milk. There were hundreds of children sitting at all these tables, and there was no milk to feed them. But that day, they prayed. George Mueller prayed in faith, had all the children seated at the table. Can you imagine parents even putting your little children down at the table with no food and expecting them to sit there, and you praying that food would show up, right, for your few children, right? Can you imagine having that kind of faith? He had the faith to believe God to provide for the whole orphanage. And the milk truck breaks down, and the man says, oh, could you use some milk? <laughs> oh, we just prayed for this. Same thing happened with bread another time. Lowliness. George Mueller was a man of lowliness. You say, but God used him in such a great way. And by the way, we get upset when God uses somebody else in a great way to influence people. But we might forget that God might have humbled them a lot. George Mueller went through a lot of humility. D.L. Moody was one of the most famous evangelists back in the 1800s, was he not? People came from all around the world to attend his Bible conferences. And one year, a large group of pastors came from Europe. They came here to Massachusetts. And they were given rooms in the dormitory of the Bible school. In Europe, there was a custom that if you put your shoes outside the door of your room, the servants would polish them. But here in Massachusetts... We have no such custom. And there were no servants. These were the dormitories for the Bible college students. George Mueller walked down the aisle of the dormitory, one of the aisles, and noticed all these shoes sitting out. And because he understood the culture, and there was nobody else to do that job, he had hundreds of men there. He personally that morning took those shoes to his office and polished them. Another man, one of the faithful men, came and found George Mueller to come visit with him that morning. And found him in the office and helped him complete that task, which would have been a task almost impossible for any man to complete. And George Mueller served. He served. Moody told no one of, uh, I mean, sorry, I, I changed the name. <laughs> Moody told us that he served. And nobody told, uh, he told no one who, what he had done, but this friend who interrupted him and helped him finish the task later told the story. Despite the praise and fame he received, Moody remained a humble man. 
And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. A mind of lowliness. He says in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. No reputation. Isn't our culture today obsessed with a reputation? Our culture today is obsessed with fame and popularity. Um, People today drive vehicles to impress people at traffic lights that they'll never meet. I mean, that's our culture today. That's our culture. Um, And he says, he being found in fashion, verse 8, as a man, he humbled himself. He did what to himself? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Psalms 133 says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's impossible to have unity without humility, a mind of lowliness. Be the lowest one. Be the one who's willing to just serve without getting attention. May the Lord help us as we enter this new year to thrive with this mind of Christ. He humbled himself. Studying history, we'll see that God has often chose to use people who had a major disability or inability, and by faith, they learned to rely on his strength in their weakness. John Bunyan, who, by the way, served in chains in a prison and wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said, he that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble shall have God to be his guide. John Bunyan chose to spend his life in chains instead of recanting his faith. And he spent a life away from his children. His children would come to bring him just a meager slice of bread and to feed him and try to care for him as he was in prison. But yet this man served God in humility. Would you be willing to still serve God if you got locked up in jail for your faith? We live in a culture today in which we're only willing to serve God if we get the tweets and the likes and the comments that we want. My friend, the praise of men will end. The praise of God is eternal. Dear parents, dear grandparents, let's never give up on the basics. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, as we looked at this week in the handout, we need to teach them to love God. If that's all we do is teach our children to love God, we will have done much. If we start there, the other issues will straighten themselves out. Lowliness is humility. And if we would have the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you. Maybe just this morning you'd just pray and say, Lord, would you let your mind, I want to let your mind in. I I got a mind of my own. (laughs) I'm strong-willed. I I have an opinion. But Lord, I want to let your mind in. I want to let your mind in. And, And... Maybe you're even debating. You're saying, I don't know if I want to go to small group or not. I don't know if I like the book or not. If you have the spirit of Christ, you will like any book. You will learn from any author because you have the spirit of humility. Okay? And we are so picky in America. We are so picky that we, we, we stop the work of God with our pickiness. And uh, we forget that maybe God in his wisdom might give us something that will help us. And maybe we should humble ourselves and receive it. We should humble ourselves and receive it. Could it be that our neighbors, friends, and even our own children might only find Christ if we humble ourselves? What if you and I, having the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus? What if that was the key to unlock 
these relationships and bring those folks in. What if that's been the key this year in God blessing and sending people to our church? What if the key has been humility? What if we all tapped into that? What would happen? What would happen? What if the key is humility? I believe it is biblically. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And look, you might feel like the two pairs of shoes you got outside your door are a lot to polish on your own. But God might be asking you to do something impossible. Make sure you don't do it for the attention of men or the praise of men. Do it only for the praise of God. And by the way, God will bless you and God will help you as you seek to serve the Lord in humility. Christ was humble and through his humility we found salvation. Let's take a few moments this morning, and we're just going to ask the Lord to help us. We're going to ask the Lord to help us that we might humble ourselves. We're going to continue, Lord willing, in this passage next week. But as we think about how he, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became, it says, obedient unto death. Would we obey if it meant that we were to die? Would we obey? Our culture today is so afraid of death. Today I've been praying for a man to get saved. And he's a friend of, a friend of, uh, or an uncle of a friend of mine. And I asked him, I said, can I go to the, please go to the hospital? The man's dying. He said, well, he's an atheist. But he sure is afraid of death. Pray I get an opportunity to go talk to the man. He's this close to dying. He knows he's dying. And by the way, that's a rough place to be as an atheist. His body racked with disease. He's got a few moments to live. And he's afraid on his deathbed. I said, friend, I will be happy to just go pray with him. Just to go pray with him. He needs hope. He needs help. Aren't you thankful that somebody loved you enough to bring the gospel to you? And my friend... You say, how do I come to the gospel? I want Christ. You come to him and you humble yourself. Make yourself of no reputation. Lord, I put my faith in Christ alone today. I choose Jesus. I repent of the fact that I'm a sinner. He's the Savior. And I turn from my sins to the Savior. I'm going to quit trying to get to heaven on my own. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. He says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm going to quit trying to earn my way to heaven, pray my way to heaven, and I'm going to trust Jesus. By the way, no prayer is going to get you into heaven. It's faith in the Son of God that gets you into heaven. Because if you're trusting in your prayer, then you're trusting in a work. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, will be saved. What would happen if we would, this week, humble ourselves? Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I should have taken this week. I should have taken a tract. There was a day when I used to pass out tracts but Lord, today my heart is so divided and it's so ununited that I'm not even sure if I want to invite people to church. Maybe we need to ask the Lord to humble us. Lord, humble me. Help me to have the mind of Christ. I want to take an invitation. This year I want to make a goal. I'm going to give somebody an invitation to church. By the way, if you're going to be a, a deacon, a pastor, an assistant pastor, a leader in the church, you'll lead first by being a, being a one who invites people to Jesus. Amen. You're going to lead first by being somebody who has a personal, soul-winning life where you lead your family to Christ, you lead others to Christ. Because, my friend, if others have the hope of the gospel, um, that, that will give us joy. 
Our joy does not come from any position. It comes from our relationship with Christ and helping others find hope in Christ. Maybe we ought to invite somebody this year to church. Say, you know what? I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to invite somebody to church. I'm going to humble myself and learn how to do it, okay? That'll be a lot of work. And I'm going to humble myself and, Lord, help me to do it. Remember the time you maybe did it. Lord, help me to invite somebody else to you. Aren't you thankful Jesus Christ was willing to leave the glories of heaven to humble himself, to come and die for our sins? We ought to humble ourselves. Let's take a few moments together this morning to kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. As we saw just two Sundays ago, I invite you in the invitation this morning as the piano is going to play in just a few moments. I invite you, like we saw just a few weeks ago, to come to worship the Lord, to kneel, to bow down before him, and just ask the Lord to bless and help and to work in your home and your family. And in this moment of invitation, I will invite you to simply come kneel before the Lord. So you're right there in your seats. I'm not going to ask you to stand today. I'm going to invite you to either kneel in your seat or to come kneel forward. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, we're going to pray right now, and then we're going to have a time of invitation. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we thank you that you humbled yourself... And Lord, you came and gave your all for us. Help us to humble ourselves before you and to lead a life of humility. I pray you bless everyone listening in today, encourage their hearts, and bless all of us gathered here together that we might worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and bow before him today and know that he is God. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Pray you be with us in this time of invitation, we pray in Christ's name. Close out the live stream at this time, and, and as we are in the spirit of prayer, as the piano begins to play, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just come and pray before the Lord? Would you come maybe and kneel right there in your seat? Maybe come kneel forward. Lord, I want to commit this new year to you. Lord, I want to commit this new year to you. I want to come kneel before the Lord, my maker. I want to kneel in my seat. I want to bow before him. I want to seek him. I want to seek him with a pure heart and ask him to bless and move and work in our home. Ask him to work in our family. thankful that Christ the babe was born for you. What a wonderful truth in the word of God and in that song. Spiritual warfare, 
will be our class starting next week. And if you had that connection card, please do fill out um, that you're interested, if you're interested in attending. And make sure you get that to me, Brother John, or put it in the box on the way out today. And uh, for those of you um, giving, this is the last Sunday of the year, obviously, to give and contribute to the church. Um, all right, we're going to have our time for the children and all of their presence. So I know today some of the children have not been able to make it because they have a cold or something like that. Their parents, out of abundance of caution, kept them. 